0: Continuing our study in the book of Genesis, have you ever found yourself uh, in a specific place, maybe in a specific season, maybe it was a job, maybe it was a location, and you were wondering when it was your time to go, when it was your time to leave? Maybe you know you won't be here in Running Springs forever. I don't know. Maybe God gave you some idea, maybe some direction in the past that this was a temporary thing. Now, I don't want anyone to take this sermon and say that they received confirmation tonight that they're supposed to leave this church. Please do not do that. But what we're going to see in the text is that Jacob's time in Haran is up. And God is going to give Jacob some specific direction, some specific confirmation that his time is up and it's time now to move on. Which brings me to the title of this teaching, Confirmation for God's Direction. Confirmation for God's Direction. Please pray with me. Lord, we come before you and... God, we know you have a, a perfect plan for each of our lives, Lord, and you have direction that you want to give. Each of us, Lord, just as you gave Jacob direction in this text, God, I pray that you would uh, just speak to us through this time that we would understand um, biblically what it means to, to receive direction and confirmation from you, Lord. And when you call us to, to move or you call us to do anything, God, we would be quick to follow in your name. Amen. Genesis chapter 31. We're going to get through this whole chapter. It's 55 verses. Kind of kind of start off slow and then cruise through the end. Genesis chapter 31 verse 1. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son saying, "Jacob has taken away all that was our fathers and from what was our fathers he has acquired at, acquired all this" Well, now, remember in the previous chapter, Jacob had made a deal with Laban that he would take care of all the flocks and the young ones that were born that were speckled or spotted, that would be Jacob's wages. And remember, Laban, he took the speckled and spotted sheep and he separated them a three-day journey away and his sons kind of took care of those. Jacob, he took care of the rest of the flocks that were normal Colors like brown and white, and things like that. And God gave Jacob this method, if you will, uh, to um, almost it was kind of like uh, he gave him some insight into how DNA works almost. And he gave him this method so that the speckled and spotted sheep would be produced. And he did this whole thing with the rods and the stripes on the rods and all this stuff. So now we're fast forwarding a little bit uh, of time. And we see here that Laban's sons see that Jacob's sheep, the speckled and spotted ones, they're, they're prospering. They're growing. There's so many speckled and spotted sheep and what the sons are doing is they're really coveting they're really envious of Jacob and this envy that's produced in Laban's sons are leading them to believe something to be true that's actually not true let me reread to you verse 31 this is what they said Jacob has taken away all that was our fathers and from what was our fathers he has acquired all this wealth. They're assuming that Jacob is taking away from what was Laban's, but Jacob wasn't taking anything away. God was simply prospering Jacob. But that's what envy does. Envy leads us to look at things with a false or negative perspective. We don't see things clearly when we're envious. See, when we're grateful of the things that we have from the Lord, then we'll be grateful for what other people have from the Lord. The blessings that God bestowed upon others. When we're content, when we're grateful, we don't look at others and say, man, I wish I had what you had. We look at others and say, thank God that they blessed them. But we see Laban's sons, they're, they're not there. They're envious of Jacob, see, when we're ungrateful for what we have, we'll always look down on those that seem to have more than us. Envy makes our perspective skewed. It makes it off. If you look at James chapter 3 verse 16, James explains it like this, the effects of envy. He says, James chapter 3, verse 16, he says, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every th- evil thing are there. When we're envious, we're actually inviting confusion and evil things into our lives. It shifts our perspective. We don't see things clearly. But the truth of the matter is, is we're not to struggle with envy anymore. Envy is something that we used to have. It's a character flaw, a character defect that relates to the old man. But God tells us, he tells us to put off the old man, put on the new man. We were once something, but now we're something else. If you look at Titus chapter 3, verse 3, he says it like this. Paul writes to the young Pastor, he says, Titus chapter 3 verse 3, for we ourselves were also once in the past, foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another, but When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. See, the Holy Spirit the power of the spirit does so many different things but one of those things is to help us put off the old man put off the old character flaws including envy that we might be able to see more clearly that we might be able to look at other people's lives and see hey maybe they are more blessed than you but you don't look at that and say i wish i had what they had you look at that and say praise god that he's blessing them Like that. Laban's sons, that's not the perspective that they have. They're looking down on Jacob and it's making them believe something that's not true as if Jacob is taking away from Laban. But it's not Jacob taking away from Laban. It's God abundantly blessing Jacob. Genesis chapter 31 verse 2. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. So between Laban's sons and how they think of Jacob and Laban sorry, yeah, Laban's sons and how they think of Jacob and, and Laban's countenance, uh we see Jacob's picking up something. Um, I'm not really wanted here as I was before. So right off the bat, we see the circumstances are against Jacob. This is the first sign of confirmation that maybe he's been there a little too long. Maybe it's time to leave, but we have to look at something. This isn't the leading factor that determines Jacob's decision. Look what happens in the next verse. Genesis chapter 31, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob... Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. God directed Jacob by his word. Which brings me to the first of five points. Be directed by his word. Be directed by his word. It's Psalm 119. Many of you know this this verse very well. Psalm 119. verse 105 crazy how many verses are in psalm 119 your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path the word of god literally lights up our path it shows us the way to go his word he says seek me in your word so that you can find direction god is giving jacob direction literally by his word see When our circumstances are difficult, as Jacob's were, his father-in-law is looking down upon him, his, his brothers, brother-in-laws are looking down upon him. His circumstances are difficult, but again, he doesn't allow that to be the determining factor of why he leaves Haran. He sees his circumstances uh, something's off here, but he waits till he gets direction from the Lord in his word before he moves forward and leaves. When's the last time God gave you specific direction in your in through the word? Do you ask God for direction through His Word? Do you ask the Lord in the morning, whenever you do your devotions, before you come to service, Lord, give me direction through Your Word? Because the reality of it is, the truth of Scripture is, is He wants to do that. He wants to give us direction through his word and he'll speak to us through any book of the Bible. The word of God is living and powerful. This story isn't just for Jacob. This story is for us and he wants to give us direction through his word, but we have to seek it out. And then when he gives us the direction, we have a responsibility. He expects us to follow the direction that he gives us. Look what happens. Genesis chapter 31 verse 4. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock. So what Jacob now needs to do is convince his wives that he's heard from the Lord that they need to leave home and go back to his home. This could be a difficult thing to do it's not difficult in the story but sometimes it can to convince our wives hey god told me this i know you may not like it we have to leave home and we have to go to california and this is what we're going to do but if you're really persuasive if god really told you then she might just follow you out to california and (laughs) have a lifetime of ministry there not talking about anyone specifically Genesis chapter 31, verse five. And this is what he said to his wives and said to them, I see your father's countenance that it is not favorable toward me as before. But the God of my father has been with me and, you know, with all my might, I've served your father, yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages 10 times. But God did not allow him to hurt me. Now these are true statements, true Jacob was serving with all his might, and true Laban had deceived him on several occasions, but Jacob is missing the lesson that God was trying to teach him through having him under the authority of Laban. See, God placed Laban over Jacob to purge the deceitfulness out of Jacob. See, God all along is trying to prepare Jacob for the future direction, for the future mission, for the life he has for him in the future, which brings me to the second point. God prepares us to follow his direction. God prepares us to follow his direction. He's trying to produce the character in him needed to raise up literally the sons that are the 12 tribes of Israel, that he would be the father, that his name will turn to Israel. And he's trying to shape him. He's trying to mold him in the way that he does it. One of the ways he does several things. One of the ways that he does it is placing Laban as the authority over his life. Because we know from Romans chapter 13, verse 1, that all authority is placed by God. All authority is placed by God. So regardless regardless of what happened last night, God saw fit that Donald Trump would be the president of the United States. And if it was Hillary, God saw fit that that's what needed to happen. And we have to remember this verse, Romans chapter 13. This epistle is written when who is the ruler of Rome? Nero. The guy that's literally lighting up Christians on fire in his garden, a madman, an absolute madman. And in the midst of that, think about being under that authority. And then you get this encouragement from Paul. All authority is placed by God. It's like, what? Really? Nero? Why would God put Nero there? He has a purpose. He has a reason. God so often puts authority in our lives to teach us specific things. Sometimes he uses the authority to teach us the right thing to do, such as we see in the Gospels with Jesus as the authority placed over the disciples. He always taught them the right thing to do. And sometimes he puts a specific authority over our lives to teach us what not to do. Isn't that what God did with Saul and David, right? David was under Saul so that God could produce the character in David to become the king that he needed to become. Has anyone ever read the book A Tale of Three Kings? I strong, Stephen, Kevin. I strongly encourage you, read that book. It's one of my favorite books, and it's amazing how he lays it out. It's really creative. Uh, he almost writes it like a play, and it's a tale of three kings. You got Saul, you got David, and you got Absalom, and it's really creative. Uh, but the point I want to get across to you is that God was had put Saul over David to purge the Saul out of David. To purge the character defects that Saul had to teach David what not to do. This is not what a king's supposed to look like. And David learned those lessons by corrupt authority. So all authority is placed by God. Same biblical principle. Laban was placed as the authority over Jacob's life to purge this deceitfulness from him. But it doesn't appear that Jacob is getting the lesson because all he's doing is pointing at the flaws in Laban. Your father has deceived me. He's changed my wages 10 times, he says. See, it's easier to see the sins in others than it is to see the sins in ourselves. Jesus says it like this in Matthew chapter 7. says, for with verse two, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye. And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly as to remove the speck from Your brother's eye. See, it's so easy for us to see the minute, the little sins in other people when we're not looking in the mirror and seeing how ridiculous we look with a plank sticking out of our head. And that's the problem with Jacob right now. He's not seeing that, wait, God is trying to teach me something by placing this person, by placing this corrupt leader, Laban the deceiver, in my life. So often God places people in our lives that have the same sin struggles so that we can see our own sin more clearly. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge for whatever... For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. The reason that you see it in them is because you struggle with that same thing. Now, I think that there's something bigger that the Lord's doing and why he has this happen. Why he places people in your life that have the same sin struggles. Yes, part of it, I think, is to expose your sin. You see it in them. You know this truth. That bothers me in them because that bothers me about me i have that same sin issue whether it's it's pride or envy whatever it is but i also think there's even a greater purpose if you look at galatians chapter 6 in galatians chapter 6 paul writes verses uh, just look at verse 2 he says bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, I believe that God sometimes allows you to be placed in the same area, to be around the same people that struggle with the same sins as you. Not that you could, should look at them and criticize them and judge them, but realize, wait a minute, they struggle with the same thing that I struggle with. Let's come alongside each other and overcome this sin struggle together, bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. Yes, he's doing it as a mirror to show you what you struggle with, but there's also the reality that you're called to, hey, dude, I struggle with that too. Like, let's work on this together. Let's overcome this sin struggle together. I know God's placed you in my life for a reason. You're not only a mirror, but you're my brother. And we're called to overcome this thing together. In Genesis chapter 31, verse 8, Jacob and Laban didn't do a good job of this. They kept trying to one-up each other with deception. But they didn't have the New Testament yet. So, Verse 8, if he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled and it And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. So we see that regardless of the method that Jacob had um, in the previous chapter, it was God blessing him the whole time. See, Laban changed his wages 10 times. Okay, now it's gonna be spotted sheep. Now it's gonna be speckled sheep. Now whatever kind of sheep. And each time that laban changed the wages for jacob god said okay you're going to switch it on him i'm just going to keep blessing these specific types of sheep and there's going to be an abundance of it verse 10 and it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that i lifted my eyes and saw in a dream and behold the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked speckled and gray spotted then the angel of god spoke to me in a dream saying jacob and I said, here I am. So Jacob's explaining really, um, verse three, how God spoke to him. Okay. So God spoke to him. We know, but now we're going to see further clarity as he goes into the story, as he's explaining this to his wives, that God spoke to him specifically in a dream. God ever speak to you in dreams. He'll speak to people in dreams. God's spoken to me in dreams many, many times, um, uh, when I was praying about uh, Elizabeth in the very beginning, when I first started having feelings of, where I said, God, just confirm this through a dream. And I wouldn't even say that I realized I loved her yet, but I had this dream and I was in front of her and I was professing my love to her. And I'm like, what the heck? And it was so vivid. And I woke up and I'm like, wait a minute, God, are you trying to tell me something? And I think he was. I fell, followed through with it. It was so cool. Um, there was uh, a couple months back, right after uh, I, in July, when I became the interim senior pastor, before it became official, I got a letter from a former Patmos student. Her name is, uh, Mayla. And she, uh, wrote me this letter and she's like, she didn't even know I took the position yet. And she wrote me this letter. She's like, I've had two dreams about you back to back. And I know God's trying to tell me something. Um, Uh, uh, I wasn't going to write you a letter. I feel weird about this, but I feel like I have to write you a letter. And she had this dream about her sitting in the congregation. It's really weird. But um, have I told you guys this one before? Okay. I think I told Mary. So (laughs) so she had this dream. She was sitting in the congregation and she said there was trash bags all down the aisle. And what I was telling people to do was take their trash and put it in the trash bags. And she was, I'll tell you the dream and then the interpretation. She was taking her trash and putting in the trash can. And one of the things that she threw in there was a flower and she went to wait. She wanted that pretty flower. So she went to grab it. And I looked at her and she was like, she grabbed the flower and she ran out the door. Okay. So she tells me this is the, this is what God was trying to get across. I was thrown off when I first heard the dream, um, she uh, she said that God has called you to pastor this church. And one of the main things that he's called you to is to call people to repentance of their sins, to throw their sin away. But there's going to be some like her in the dream that see their sin as so beautiful, something that they don't want to let go of, that they want to hold on to. And because of their desire to hold on to their pretty little sin, they're going to they're going to leave. And I was like, dude, this is crazy. I had chills. There's a lot of more details in it. But she gave me this thing. She's like, I don't know what you've decided, but I believe God's telling me that you're supposed to pastor this church. And it was wild. This girl, he speaks to her through dreams. She's like a little prophetess, but God, he will. He'll speak to us in dreams. This isn't just an Old Testament thing or a New Testament thing. This is a a a a a, a, a now thing. And look what Jacob says, how he responds. Back in verse 11, he says, And I said, here I am. See, Jacob was willing to receive the direction from the Lord. He was willing to hear what God has to say. And we'll see he was willing to follow what God had to say later. It's one thing to hear God's direction. It's another thing to be willing to follow it. Which brings me to the third point. Be willing to follow God's direction. Be willing to follow God's direction. This is an important character quality for pretty much not just the patriarchs, but all the many of the people that God encounters in the Bible, including the disciples. See, the disciples—they were nothing special. You got fishermen, you got a tax collector, you got these ordinary men. In fact, we see in Acts chapter four that they're untrained and unlearned, but they had one thing going for them—they were willing. They were willing to follow Jesus. They were willing, literally, to follow the word of God. We see in Luke chapter five um, when Jesus calls many of the disciples, Peter's there and several others uh, for. Uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Okay, so he calls these disciples. He tells them to let down their nets. No longer will you be fishers, but fishers of men. And it said immediately, they forsook all and followed him. They, They were fishermen. They didn't have anything going for them. They were just willing. They were willing to follow the word of God. And if we're willing to follow the word of God, if we're willing to follow God's direction, it's amazing what... God will do if we aren't willing to follow God's direction, then we're going to inevitably miss out on the adventure that he has for us. In Genesis chapter 31, verse 12, and he said, Lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled and gray spotted for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. So we see, even though Laban was against him, God was for him. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. I love this. God continues to do this. What does he say to Jacob? How does he address him? What does he remind him of? Hey, I'm the God of Bethel. I'm the same God that revealed myself to you from the beginning. And now I'm going to reveal myself to you again. And again, we'll see later in the next chapter as he wrestles with God, we see this progressive revelation from God. See, God will reveal himself to us and then throughout our walk with him, he'll reveal himself to us on deeper and deeper and deeper levels. And he'll remind us, hey, I'm the same God that did this. I'm trying to teach you something new, a new character quality about me. And he does this throughout the Bible in Genesis. That's why he reveals so many different names. And then in Exodus, he reveals his name as, as Yahweh. And then we see later different character qualities that God reveals through the person of Jesus Christ. Christ, It's this progressive revelation and it's a personal progressive revelation as well. As we continue to walk with the Lord, he'll reveal himself to us on deeper in deeper levels. Look at verse 14. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. This is crucial. His wives are in agreement that Jacob should follow the direction that God's giving them. This is added confirmation, which brings me to the fourth point. Seek confirmation for God's direction through others. Seek uh, confirmation for God's direction through others, not just anybody, okay? Don't take it out of context. People that follow the Lord, okay? But look at this, these are specifically his wives. So often as men, we can take that spiritual leadership uh, thing to uh, an unnecessary level and we can get in that mode that, hey, this is what God called me to do and this is what we're going to do. Family, wife, this is the direction we're going because this is what God said but there's so much wisdom in bringing what God spoke to you to your wife and say hey this is what i believe god's saying what do you think about this and then as you receive confirmation from your wife then it's like okay let's do this together i'm not just dictator lord over you i'm the leader of the marriage the spiritual leader but the wife's got a a, a say in the matter as well and the wives they are in agreement that jacob should continue on with what god had called him to it's proverbs chapter 11 verse 14 proverbs chapter 11 verse 14 where there is no counsel the people fall but in the multitude of counselors there is safety It's good to gain confirmation, added confirmation from your wife, but it's also good to gain confirmation from others in the body of Christ. I'm so grateful for the board of men that God's placed in my life because I believe God will speak to me about things and maybe give me vision or direction for the church. And I'll say, hey, guys, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think about that? and I'm able to bounce these ideas off of them and say hey yeah that's a good idea and often there's added insight that comes that yeah this is a good idea this is a vision from the lord let's make it even better and in that multitude of counselors there's safety and there's wisdom and there's clearer direction as far as what god's vision is for really anything and i love what they say here look at it again how do they respond Uh, that very last verse, uh, uh, a part of verse 16, he says, they say, now then whatever God has said to you, do it. This must have been so encouraging for Jacob. He's like, all right, I put it out there. I told him the direction, but now my wives, they got my back. It's so encouraging when we know that our wife supports us in what God's leading and what God's telling us to do. But this should really be our response to God regardless of who we are. Whatever God has said to you, do it. Whatever. Not just the things that you want to do. Not just the things that are convenient for you. Whatever He tells you to do, do it. In Genesis chapter 31, verse 17, Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels. So now Jacob rises and now he gathers his wives and his camels and he moves forward. This is important. Look at all the confirmation that he's received thus far. He received confirmation through his circumstances, right? Laban's son and Laban himself were now looking down on him. We're against him. He got direction from the word of God. We know that was through a dream. So he got confirmation through the dream. And now he's getting confirmation through others, through his wives specifically. But when we can have all of that confirmation... Not that we need all of it to move forward. Don't take this and say, well, God gave me a word to do this, but I didn't get a dream and my wife didn't agree and my circumstances didn't line up. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But when we receive all these different sources of confirmation, we can be very confident in moving forward and say, hey, no, God's in this. He's absolutely in this. And that's what Jacob waits for before he moves forward. Look at verse 18 and he carried away all his livestock and all his possess- possessions which he had gained, his acquired livestock which he had gained in and Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. So we see here, uh, we already see of the somewhat... Um, uh, the kind of methods in uh, the diviner, whatever Jacob did previously uh, in the previous chapter. But now we see that Laban, sorry, actually did worship idols. Rachel is taking these idols, but it's interesting. Laban, he knows God. He knows who God is, but he's still worshiping idols. We too, we can know about God. We can even know God intimately, but still worship worship idols and idols can really be anything in our lives that we raise above god it can be it could be food it could be hobbies it could be tv it could be working out there's seasons every year that i take breaks from working out because i know that that can that can become an idol It's something that you say, oh, I want to do this thing so bad, but sometimes God will ask you, hey, maybe you don't have to take that thing away permanently, but take a break from that thing, whether it's a hobby or regardless, but even God's blessings, we can take good things from God and turn them into idols like family, like jobs, like finances, really anything. We have a huge problem as humans in this thing in our hearts that we'll take any good thing that God gives us and we'll turn it into idols. Now, the idol that we see here in the text is actually a, a figure. It's a man-made carved idol, but we see that it's Rachel who takes the idol. She steals the idol. Now, Rachel, she's following God's direction through her husband. This is a good thing. But what's she doing? She's bringing her idols with her. So what she's doing is she's following God, but she's putting her faith in something else as well. I'll follow God, but I'm also going to hold on to this comfort. I'm going to hold on to this idol. I'm going to put my faith in this other thing. She's not following God wholeheartedly, which brings me to the fifth point. Fully follow God's direction. Fully follow God's direction. Sometimes we can generally follow God's direction, but still hold on to comforts or idols or put our faith in things other than God. See, When Jesus called us, when he called each of us, he's really called just like he did with the disciples in Luke chapter five. He also says it in Luke chapter 14 to forsake all and follow him, not follow him and bring whatever else gives us peace of mind. Yeah, I'll follow Jesus, but I really want like I'll follow Jesus, but I can I keep my job? Can I keep this or can I keep that? You might be able to, but we see throughout the scriptures, specifically the gospels, perfect example in Matthew chapter 10, when he sends the disciples out, he sends them out with next to nothing. Why? So they would learn to put their faith in God and God alone. For us to have the faith that he calls us to have, we can't put our faith in anything other than him. We see a young man ran into a similar problem in Matthew chapter 19. It's the story of the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus. They have this dialogue. What must I do to enter eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments. Then the rich young ruler, hey, I've done that. I've done those specific commandments that you named uh, since I was a child. Jesus is like, good. You want to be perfect? Sell everything you have and come and follow me. And what happened? It says he walked away sorrowfully with immediate regret. He knew what he was called to do to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, but he was still wrapped up in his comfort, which was, in his case, his, his money, rich young ruler, his finances. That was his idol. He wasn't willing to let that idol go, and he held on to that, and it prevented him from experiencing the joy and abundant life that he could have had in Christ Jesus. Genesis chapter 31, verse 20. Again, Rachel, she's bringing these idols with her, which will come up later in the story. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, and that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. Now, Got a question here. Is Jacob deceiving here? He's fleeing and he's not telling Laban. Should he have told Laban? I think he probably should have. Remember, it was God that told him, hey, go, I'm gonna be with you. I don't think that Jacob had anything to fear and we're gonna see later on that God does interfere when Laban comes after him. So should he have told him? Uh, I think so, but I don't know for sure. Look at verse 21. uh 21. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river and he headed toward the mountains of Gilead. And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days journey. And he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor Bad. So we see that Laban finds out Jacob is fleeing. He's going out to get him. Now, from what he says later, there's some indication here that he probably intended on doing harm to Jacob. At least, at the very least, he was likely trying to get the flocks back, get his daughters back. There's a reason that he's diligently pursuing Jacob, and there's a reason that God intervenes. And look what God says again. He says, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. What is he, uh, trying to get across there? He's basically telling Laban, hey, don't try to be buddy-buddy with Jacob just to manipulate him, possibly convince him to come back just to get over on him and deceive him again. We're not playing the deceit game again. Don't speak to him neither good or bad. You can have a conversation, but I'm limiting the conversation. You're not to deceive Jacob again. Pick it up in verse 25. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains. And Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and did not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joys and songs, with timbrel and harp. What's Laban saying here? Dude, if you would have just told me, man, I would have had a great going away party for you. Come on, we would have celebrated, we would have had a feast, we would have played music, the whole deal. Yeah, right, Laban, probably not true. Verse 28, And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly in so doing. It is in my power to do you harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, "Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad." The only thing that's preventing Laban from doing harm to Jacob is that God intervened and God spoke to him. But look at what Laban says here in verse 29, he says, but the God of your father, that's Isaac, spoke to me last night. He refers to God as Isaac's God. See, Laban knows of God, but he doesn't know him. He doesn't know him intimately. Regardless of what we know about God, it's not about what we know about him, it's about knowing him. It's that Greek word gnosko, that experiential knowledge. We can have all the head knowledge about God in the world, but yeah, that's good. It's good if it's added to an experiential relationship-based knowledge. Knowing about God doesn't really help us if we don't know him personally and intimately. And that's the case for Laban. He knows about God. He's seen God. God's even spoken to him, but he doesn't know God. He doesn't have a relationship with him. Genesis chapter 31 verse 30. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I said, Perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. With whomever you find your gods, do not let them, let him live. In the presence of your brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So this was an actual thing in that culture. If you stole someone's idol, it was capital punishment. That's crazy, right? The little figurine, if you just stole that thing, it's like stealing a kid's toy. That's like they have these little idols. If you steal it, the consequence is capital punishment. But Jacob, he's unaware, as the text says, that Rachel is the one that stole this idol. So he says, yeah, you find him and you kill him. That's the reasonable consequence for those actions in that culture. Verse 33, and Laban went into Jacob's tent into Leah's tent into the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise before you for the manner of women is with me. And he searched, but did not find the household idol. So Rachel, quick thinking, she says, hey, it's that time of the month. I can't get up right now. And he doesn't search the camel's saddle. Verse 36, then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban, And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Now, Jacob gets upset with Laban and part of this is understandable because these were his possessions and he had the right to leave, but he still did it with some deceit. And the reality of it is we know that unknown to Jacob, Uh, Rachel is the one that's committed sin here. She's the one that stole the idols. So there's part of this that is understandable why Jacob would get upset, but we also have to rem- remember it's not like Jacob has, um, has the best reputation with Laban, right? It's not like Jacob hasn't given Laban any reason not to trust him so far. So part of this uh anger is understandable. Some of it's like, mm, Jacob, you haven't been like a, 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 a perfect citizen um, while you've lived with and been under... Laban. Look at verse 37. Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren, that they may judge between us both. These 20 years I've been with you, your ooze and your family, female goats have not miscarried their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beast I did not bring to you I bore the loss of it, you required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was in the day the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house twenty years. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flocks. And you have changed my wages ten times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction in the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Basically, Jacob's pleading his case with Laban. Hey, here's the deal. I've worked for you so hard in sleeplessness. Even the lambs that were taken by beasts, even though all I had to, culturally, all I had to do was bring those beasts to the owner. Sorry, bring those lambs that had been torn apart by beasts to the owner and say, hey, I did what I could. I have this sheep. This is proof that I tried to get it back and he wouldn't have to take care of it. What Jacob is saying is I've gone above and beyond and I've paid for all of those sheep that have been torn apart by beast and I've taken it out of my own wages, out of my own flock. I've done so much work for you. I've gone above and beyond the wages that were set aside for you. I served you for 20 years and you're still coming against me. And now, regardless of all of that service, you would still try to come against me had God not intervened last night and spoke to you and instilled the fear of God in you. what happens in verse 43. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, these daughters are my daughters and these children are my children and this flock is my flock, all that you see is mine, but what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have born? Laban, I don't understand here, he made a deal with Jacob that, hey, serve seven for Leah, serve seven for Rachel, serve however many years, six more years for the flocks and they're all yours. But now that he doesn't like the outcome of the deal, he has this lie and planted them these are all mine these daughters are mine these flocks are mine but it was laban that made the deal and a deal's a deal verse 44 now therefore come let us make a covenant you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. Laban decides to make a covenant with Jacob. He's pursuing peace, but the reality of it is, again, God had spoke to him last night. So I believe the motivation behind this pursuit of peace is, uh Laban's seen God intervene. He's seen God bless Jacob all this time. And he has a little bit of fear of what God might do to him if he doesn't make this covenant, if he doesn't pursue peace. It's like, does he really have another option at this point? Look at verse 45. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap And they ate there on the heap. Laban called it Jager Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was Galid. Also Mizpah, because he said, may the Lord watch between you and me and when we are absent from one another. If you afflict my daughters or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see God is witness between you and me." Then Laban said to Jacob, here is this heap and here is this pillar which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond this heap to you and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. So we see this covenant and these pillars and at the end of it it's pretty much like okay we've realized that we can't live alongside of each other we don't get along we don't agree so we're going to in a sense draw a line in the sand and i'll stay on my side and you say on your side if we can't get along we can't live with each other then we must live apart and move on verse 53 The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their father judged between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place this is the last verse, this is the last time that we'll hear of Laban. And it's kind of a a sad story. There's no indication that Laban reconciled with the Lord. See, God had a plan and a specific direction for Jacob. And we see how God confirmed that direction for Jacob. But see, God had a plan for Laban too. But Laban got so caught up, so ridden with envy as he watched Jacob be blessed by God day in and day out that he really robbed himself of his own opportunity to pursue relationship with the Lord. He knew of God, but he didn't know God. And because he didn't know God, because he didn't pursue God, he never received the direction and plan that God had for his life. See, God has direction for each of us and we see two flawed men here and i believe god did have direction for laban we obviously see that god had direction for jacob he has direction for us he has a a perfect pleasing holy acceptable will for us he has a personal path for us and the only way we're going to find it is by seeking him, by knowing him, by pursuing him. And as he slowly reveals that specific will, that specific direction for our lives, because he will be faithful to do it. If we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. He'll reveal that direction. But with that direction comes the expectation that we follow his direction confirm the path, we have to be faithful to walk down the path. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this chapter, this story, God, um, Jacob, how you spoke to him clearly, how, how you gave him such clear direction as to what he was supposed to do. Lord, going back home, God, I pray that you would speak to us in the same way, that we'd receive confirmation through circumstances, through your word, through people close to us in the body of Christ, Lord, through even dreams, if you would. Lord, but you would also give us the strength to be faithful to follow the direction that you give us. In your name, amen.